You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, you can see by the outline that we're on March 18th, the guest, Luke 19. Zacchaeus is our main attraction for this morning. This is our fifth out of six. And if you notice the outline in the left column there, we began with Abraham and his working lunch with the Lord, where the covenant was renewed. Right there we get a beautiful picture of the... Uh, the urgency and the generosity of hospitality right at the beginning. And then table manners, which we will refer to in just a few moments again, with uh, the parable of the great banquet and the prominent Pharisee that invited Jesus uh, to dinner. And then our discussion on the Lord's Prayer and daily bread, the ordinary request for physical nourishment. And then last week, real food, John 6, the uh, relationship of the provision for the 5,000 or 5,000 plus, and Jesus' concern to take that as an analogy to talk about what it was really to participate and follow him. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there is no life in you. In Luke 19... On the occasion of meeting Zacchaeus, uh, this event takes place just shortly before Palm Sunday. And Jesus walks into Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus plays a really pivotal role as an illustration of what Jesus has been talking about now for some time in his earthly ministry. Let's begin with prayer. Our Lord and our God, please guide this time Thank you for the worship that we've just come from, many of us. We ask now that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit in this time together as well. In the name of Christ, we pray together. Amen. In the text box, and the only reason I'm going to read it now is because it's missing a line. Uh, Sometimes when you make text boxes, you lose the last if you're not careful. At least that's true for me. The story of Zacchaeus illustrates how Jesus took the initiative to relate to people who everybody expected him to ignore. If we're following Jesus, we will sit at some pretty unlikely tables and reach out to some very unlikely candidates for conversion. We need the confidence, courage, and humility of Jesus to invite ourselves into people's lives for the sake of the kingdom and their salvation. We may risk the crowd's disapproval and the appearance of contamination, but the benefit, the benefit, and I don't think you'd ever probably come up with this line. We could say the benefit's great, period, but here I'm saying, and it's the last line if you turn on the next page, but the benefit is the contagious holiness of Jesus. So at the very bottom of the page, on the second page, the back side, But the benefit is the contagious holiness of Jesus. That's where that line comes from. Uh, Luke 19, and I'm beginning to read in verse 1 of Luke 19. 
Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, the Hebrew root, uh, or the root from which Zacchaeus comes means the righteous one or the pure one. Now that would have stood as a, an irony, having the name of righteous and pure one, but being noted uh, among the people as a collaborator with Rome, as a, ta- as a chief tax collector, as a franchiser. The tax system there was a kind of franchise system. And Zacchaeus had the Chick-fil-A franchise for Jericho. He had bought his franchise from Rome in order to earn the right, pay for the right, to uh, tax Jericho and to have a number of administrators under him. So he would have been perceived by people as wealthy and corrupt and a uh, a benefit beneficiary of the Roman conquest and the Roman occupation. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now, I know in the Gospel of John, the body language of Jesus is often very, very important. Uh, In John 13, where Jesus stoops and kneels to wash the disciples' feet, uh, there is something made of the fact that Jesus, while kneeling, is looking up into the face of the disciples as he washes their feet. Well, here again, we have Jesus looking up. He who came down and was made flesh, the incarnate Son of God. Philippians 2 comes to mind. Um, Jesus came to the place and he looked up. Zacchaeus is looking down. There's a crowd that is milling all around. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Interesting that Jesus would take the extraordinary initiative. Now, this is why I think in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Zacchaeus factors in not just as an isolated story that gets kind of put in here. But it's a story that, in a beautiful way, exemplifies all that Jesus has been talking about now for some time. So if you turn, you know, if you've got your Bibles, remember my teaching only works when you have Bibles. You remember that, right? Um, In Luke chapter 14, where we have the occasion of the prominent Pharisee inviting Jesus. And remember, he tells the story of the great banquet. And the bottom line of the great banquet is that people that should have been responding to the invitation to go to the king's banquet refuse and reject. And they become, in a sense, an example of Israel in its establishment, its religious leaders, the people who should be responsive to the coming of the Messiah are not. 
And that parable ends with the notion of the, the king saying, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. And my house will be filled, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Well, Zacchaeus becomes a beautiful example of on the highway, on, out in the hedges. Jesus is looking up in a sycamore tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Hurry, because I have to go to your house today. So Jesus exemplifies the, the parable here. But that's not the only one. Uh, you know, what really follows here, and I'm going to give you seven examples of how Zacchaeus kind of fulfills the, the narrative drive here. The second is that uh, Zacchaeus is like this lost sheep. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes finds this lost one. And Zacchaeus kind of exemplifies that, that lostness, the outsider, uh, who will become an insider. And the lost coin and the prodigal son, the lost son. So you've got the great banquet, go out into the highways and compel them to come in. And then the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, all of which ex are exemplified in the real person Zacchaeus. He's also, I would say this is our fifth one, a, an example of the persistent widow. One who sought for justice, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Well, in some ways, Zacchaeus is going to answer that question. Yes. And Zacchaeus, under the influence of Christ, becomes converted. Least likely candidate for conversion. The unexpected nature of it all. And then the sixth one, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, Jesus tells this story of a, a, a prominent Pharisee who takes uh, a position of pride in relationship with God for all the good things that he has done. And he despises the tax collector. This is a story. He's not describing what is actually taking place. Jesus is describing this as, as a story. And the tax collector, though, God, I thank you that I'm not, the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other man, an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes for all I do, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified. So Zacchaeus, again, is he is the tax collector. The next story before the account of Zacchaeus is the rich young ruler and the blind beggar. And again, the rich young ruler is uh, the opposite of what is uh, responding, who is responding to Jesus. But in verse 35 of chapter 18, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Well, that blind man's concern to be healed by Jesus and to recognize Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, is now also exemplified in 
Zacchaeus. So my point is simply this, that in the Luke narrative, with all of these stories and with these encounters and these conversations, Zacchaeus kind of comes at the end of that, before the Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem, and he's the kind of person that Jesus is after. The least likely candidate for conversion. Everybody has a story, but only one story redeems our story. And Zacchaeus illustrates that. He entered Jericho. Jericho is about 16 miles from Jerusalem. Remember in Luke 9, 51, Jesus sets his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He's heading toward the cross. And that sort of is the basic narrative structure of the Gospel of Luke. And now he's getting close, and Zacchaeus is en route. Now, can you remember that Jericho was the first city that the Israelites conquered when they moved into Canaan. And do you remember the story of Jericho and who it was that became converted when the spies came into Jericho? It was about a thousand years before. Now, I've tried to locate Zacchaeus in the narrative of the gospel so that it's not an isolated story, but it's a story that fits really well with what Jesus has been doing. But let's even expand this further. Let's go way back to the original reference to Jericho, a thousand years before. And who is it that took in the spies? A stormy Daniels, a prostitute, opened her home, to the spies that came in. And the reputation of Israel and Israel's God had struck fear into the citizens of Jericho. And they were dreading. They, could, they knew the Israelites were coming. And the word got out that these strange men, probably Israelites, had come into the town. And Rahab hides them in stalks of grain on the roof, probably there to dry out. And after she had been interrogated, she warns them to, to the Israelite spies to, to leave uh, and not to take a route home, but to hide in the mountains close by for three days. And then it would be safe for them to go because a, a posse had already been sent out to find them. But before they leave, she says, I know that you're God's the real God, and that you will conquer Jericho. Will you save me? And the spies say yes, and remember the story of the, the scarlet rope or the, the red rope that's hung out from um, uh, her uh, second floor over the wall. And the spies promised her that anybody of her family or friends that she gathered in her house would be spared. A Jericho conversion, an unlikely conversion, a thousand years before. So what does that signify? You've got Rahab and Zacchaeus. You've got a prostitute and a tax collector. The least likely candidates for conversion, but they're the ones that uh, get gathered in by the wonderful work of, of God's grace. 
verse 6. So Zacchaeus hurries. He comes down and receives him with joy. You know, there is, uh, how did Jesus know that Zacchaeus would be so responsive? Uh, I mean, that's not explained to us. We don't understand that. How is it that uh, Zacchaeus is so pleased and privileged? I know we would like our initiatives in people's lives when they have been prayed over and thought through and our desire is to really reach that least likely candidate for conversion, but that person is in our life. Uh, We kind of like that kind of response that Zacchaeus gives to Jesus as well. Uh, The fact that we haven't always had that kind of response of people that we really are interested in reaching out to and compelling, as it were, to come in I would encourage you not to give up because you haven't always met with a Zacchaeus kind of positive responsiveness, that you not give up on taking the initiative of, in a way, inviting yourself into the lives of others for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. One bad experience can have a, a very negative effect on our openness and willingness to engage in that kind of conversation, that kind of initiative. But the example here of Zacchaeus also needs to be remembered, that there are those who are just waiting for that initiative on our part and who would be very responsive to a lunch in which we talk about those things that are really important to us. And as we reach out with thought and concern for what's important to them. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, who's, it, who's they? Uh, it sounds like uh, people and religious leaders and everybody. They, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I have a friend today who is preaching. Uh, He's a lay person. He's a business person, um, but played a very significant role uh, at First Press in uh, San Diego. And uh, he's preaching today in another church, not the church that we served in San Diego, and he's preaching on John 19, the encounter with Pilate. And... uh, Remember, Pilate says, are you going to be silent with me when I have authority over you? And Jesus says to Pilate, you wouldn't have authority over me unless it was given to you by my father. And then Jesus adds, the one who has greater sin is the person who handed me over to you. Now, we immediately think of of Judas, the one who has greater sin. And my friend wrote to me about the text, and, and I responded to him by including us in that one who handed him over to you, because we had that sin. It's because of our sin that Christ was handed over to Pilate. 
And so, in a way, we participate, like Judas, in giving our giving Christ to Pilate because we have sinned. I guess I say that all as an aside, that we too are sinners. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What a true statement. What an absolute axiomatic statement that is. And Zacchaeus stood. Now, this uh, six weeks have been about table grace, and we've talked a lot about food, and uh, I've usually had something more substantial about food. This text has nothing about food. We would reason (laughs) that between verse 7 and 8, that they had a meal, that there was table fellowship. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, so there's something that's transpired between those two verses. There's conversation. I'm sure there's food. Boy, wouldn't we love a transcript of that conversation. But notice what's not mentioned so I can make a point. My point is this. Food really doesn't matter in your hospitality. We live in a culture that is now probably guilty of making way too much of food. But we could just substitute there between verse 7 and 8 that they experienced the Mediterranean diet. They ate. They had food. But oftentimes the food is so inconsequential to the human dynamic that's taking place. The conversation usually even at family meals, is way more important than the food. And just like somebody needs to attend to the food that's served, I think we probably need to spend more time attending to the conversation that will be had. Um, I don't know if any of you saw the CNN uh, shows Sunday night on the Kennedys, the Kennedy dynasty. Interesting to see how much tragedy was in that family that we don't normally know about, but was there. But when the kids came to the table, they were expected to talk about current events and to be articulate, articulate in, their, in their positions and uh, to be able to express themselves. I remember stories about Martin Luther King Jr. that they were supposed to come to the table with a verse that was memorized and with a current event. And that was some of the substance of that table fellowship. All I have to say is food isn't mentioned here. The conversation's probably way more important. We don't even have the conversation either, but something transpired around that table for Zacchaeus to stand up. And Zacchaeus, verse 8, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, so many of us, maybe from a theological bent, would wish that Zacchaeus had said, Lord God, I accept your grace and your salvation 
Thank you so much for being justified by faith. Um, But he doesn't talk that way, does he? Instead, he talks about the impact that that kind of convicting presence of Jesus had on his thinking, on his life, the consequences, the change that has taken place. Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And then the line that's so significant in describing Jesus' gospel reality, for the Son of Man came not to seek and to save, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's followed by another story. And this story is the climax before uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's the story of the ten talents. But it's told a little differently than you may remember it. Remember the the one, two, and five. This is ten men each getting a talent. And what they do with that talent, the ten-talent person uh, earns ten more. The five-talent person earns, uh, well, they all get one talent, and the, the one person with the talent gets ten, another person gets five, but then you have the same scenario as you have in the other Gospels where a person comes, verse 20, then another comes saying, Lord, here's your mina, and I kept, late, I kept it laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid you, because you were a severe man. And you remember the account judgment falls on this person who had not invested the talent. All that to say is Zacchaeus is a person who responds to the gospel when he's given that opportunity, unlike so many of the people that will now shout for Jesus to be crucified and to be condemned. The very people who should have been responsive to the gospel were not, and the person who everybody thought was the most unlikely candidate was indeed. So see Zacchaeus in the light of the gospel, see him in the light of salvation history, and table grace, fellowship around the table, was the catalyst for this kind of conversation. Any thoughts, any observations you have? As you're thinking, I have a pesty little comment to make. And it is a pesty little comment. It's peculiar to my way of being critical, I guess. Um, I think in many situations today, Zacchaeus would be a marked person because of his money. And that Christians would be interested in him not so much maybe for his conversion, but for the fact that he has deep pockets. And we have sort of, um, uh, within our orthodox evangelical world, we have kind of a Jesus business that goes on. And people get used that have money because they have money. We're not really interested in their souls, We're interested in the fact that they could be good 
givers to support our projects in the Jesus business. I think it's important for us to see what Jesus, how Jesus responded to Zacchaeus. He's far more interested in who he was in his uh, grasp of the gospel and the good news of Christ and that he indeed was a child of Abraham. And that this, it's the, for this reason Jesus came, uh, because he's lost and a sinner and needs the grace of God. Uh, we've got to be, I think we've got to bend over backwards with people with means that they not be perceived uh, because of their financial worth but because they're souls, people who need Christ. And the last thing we should be talking to about with some wealthy people is about how they can give to their projects. And I think it's a bit sacrilegious for the pious soul to say, well, maybe when they get involved, that somehow they'll see the value of the gospel. No. I'd say no to that kind of thinking. The avenue is not in the avenue is not the way in by contributing to my cause that somehow then maybe you'll get to the gospel. Uh, we shouldn't want their money if we don't have them in the kingdom. Period. And Zacchaeus, I think, is a good example that counters the Jesus business of today. very wealthy member in a church in Chattanooga um, started sending us clothes. And these were wonderful clothes. Like at the time, she would just buy a whole lot of things. And I remember um, there were bathing suits. And I'm talking about 40 or 50 years ago that had price tags of $200 $300. And there were coats and jackets that I never even knew existed. And maybe five years passed, and then it stopped coming. And I was a little concerned, and I asked my mother, and she said, well, she's been more convicted with the gospel. And I remember sitting on the bed and just bursting into tears. Where are my expensive clothes? <laughs> and my mother sat down and she said, which is more important to you, that she grows deep in her understanding of Jesus Christ or these two clothes, and I must confess, <laughs> I said, couldn't she become a Christian later in life? <laughs> and then I married Doug, but that's okay. <laughs> if you don't like that, just... You know, no, that's a great story. Thank you. Thank you. Anything that comes to your mind on the subject of Zacchaeus? Now, as I've been talking, have you been thinking about maybe an individual that uh, you might take the initiative to invite to lunch? Uh, and how would that conversation proceed? Well, I've just been thinking about you. Um, and you know I'm a, a follower of Christ, and, and I pray for you. And that may be all you need to say. 
and then talk about March Madness if you need to. Um, but sowing the gospel seed of real interest in a person that the Lord has brought to mind uh, for you. Um, and it, it should be natural. It should be kind of ordinary. Um, there was nothing extraordinary about Jesus just looking up and saying, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I've got to go to your house today. Uh, and inviting himself into Zacchaeus's life because there was a longing. This is what we can count on, I think, in all the people we meet. Even those people that strike us as pretty thoughtless about a lot of concerns along this line. I think there is a deep-seated spiritual need for God. And a deep spiritual sense of insecurity and inferiority. And the gospel, whether people, whether it may appear evident or not, I think the gospel speaks to them of that need. And as you sow that seed, the Zacchaeuses will respond to that gospel. So that's your homework. Seek out somebody that, uh, you know, uh, that the Lord lays on your mind and uh, take him to lunch. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks for the time together. Um, and we ask, Lord, for uh, our responsiveness to your example, uh, the ability of you to be so accessible and to uh, meet people on their home turf but also the fact that uh, a resilience in that encounter, a purity, a, a rest that uh, means that we don't have to change in order to relate. We don't have to compromise the faith in order to relate. And we do thank you, Lord, for the example of your uh, contagious holiness in the presence of uh, a sinner that now is saved by grace. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.